If you turn in your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 4. See the Schlaboks are in town from Texas. We're glad to have you guys here. It's a joy to have you here this morning. All right. As we approach our, our text this morning, I want to emphasize again that in the passage before us, as we've been studying the last few weeks in, this, in, in chapter 4, we're looking at the unity that we are to have together as the body of Christ. Um, the church is not simply just an, an organization. It's not a business. The church is not um, simply a, a group of people that, that think in a similar way. So we get together. The church is a part of the body of Christ, and and God gifts us, ministers to us, puts the same Holy Spirit within us. We see there at the beginning of of Ephesians chapter 4, where Paul says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing With one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And then he says, There's one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. In the beginning of this chapter, he just begins by a call towards unity, showing us that. We are one. Um, there ought to be unity that's there because there's one body, there's one Holy Spirit. We have one hope, we have one calling, we have one Lord, we have one faith, we have one baptism, and we have one God and Father of all. Uh, we're on the same team, we're part of the same body. The way that we ought to be thinking towards one another, even here within the local church especially, but also with Christians abroad. You heard Adam pray this morning for Christians that are in other countries that suffer persecution and have just gone through incredible trials and tribulations. May we bear with them as well. Pray for them regularly. There's unity that is there in the universal church as far as the church across the entire world. Not only that, but unity in believers of all those who have walked this Christian life and have been called by our Lord, who are now in eternity in in heaven. We serve we serve one one God, but there's also to be specific specifically unity that's within the local church. It's definitely apparent that through the ages and even through the history of our church that you see that there's divisions that arise and hardship that takes place and hearts that get hurt so in terrible and painful ways. Um, and sometimes it's over some of the most minor things as well. People who will will separate and leave because of of small disagreements, or someone looked at them the wrong way, or they just didn't like how this one thing was done. And 
the scripture makes it so clear that that ought not to be the case. The closer that we get together and the more that we know each other, there's a sweetness that comes with it. But at the same time, the closer you get to know each other, the more likely it is that there's ways that we will prick each other in different ways. It's been said that Christians are like porcupines. The closer they get, the more they are prone to prick each other as they go. Um, But also the closer that we get, the more that we are able to know each other, love each other, forgive each other, show grace towards each other, know that none of us are perfect. And yet we serve the same God. We have the same Holy Spirit residing within us. This morning we're going to focus primarily on, on verses 14 through 16, but I want to take a closer look at, at verse 13 as, as we um, went over that a little bit quickly last week. In Ephesians 4.13 it says this, Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. He's continuing to talk about unity, and within your bulletins, you have a handout that's there, and we'll look at, at, at that handout together. But unity in, in, in doctrine first. 1 Corinthians 1.10 tells us this. Paul says, Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. We, we speak the same thing. There's unity of faith, a unity that is there in what it is that we believe as far as those essential doctrines of the Christian faith. Unity in doctrine. But also unity in knowing Christ. The passage says, and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Unity in knowing Christ. Philippians 3, 8 says yet this, Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. The way that we know him, the way that we experience Christ, know Christ, not only know about him, but hear his heart in the pages of scripture, see his heart in all that he has done for us to where we together as the body of Christ worship him with all that is within us. We love him. We adore him because we know him. Christ to us isn't just a historical figure. He's our savior. He's our Lord. He is our friend. He is the one that we joyfully look forward to spending eternity with. And that knowledge of him, truly knowing Christ, brings unity for us together. Been to a lot of different countries, and I've watched Christians worship all over the world. There is the most joyful thing to just watch believers worship. Same Christ that we serve. Think of going to Pakistan for the first time. A country that, that, that I wouldn't think of as far as, you know, how's the church doing in Pakistan? It wasn't 
a church that had been even on my radar and think of Pakistan primarily as a Muslim country and and we went there and I think I, I, I preached probably in a dozen churches over the course of just a few days. We went from church to church to church and I'll tell you I oh we fell in love with the people in Pakistan. The joy that was in their faces as they as they worshiped. All the ladies would sit on one side. All the men would sit on the other side. Culturally, it was so different. But during the time of worship and during the time of study, you could see in their faces just the most incredible love for Christ. Being under trees in South Sudan and watching the Christians and there's joy that's there. Worshiping Christ and Oh, there's no question that they just love him. There's unity that is there, whether you're in the United States or Europe or Africa or Asia, where South America, wherever it is, there are believers that are there. And you know that there's unity that is there because you can see they love Christ just as I do, just as we do. The next thing that they say in, that is told to us in Ephesians 4.13 is that there's also unity in that we are being conformed. It says, to a, a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Conformed into the image of Christ. All of us together are being conformed into the image of Christ. He is shaping us. He's molding us. He began a good work in us, and he'll be faithful to complete it. All of us recognize that, that we are so far from being what we ought to be. But at the same time, if we're believers, we know that we're not what we were. God's changing us. He's molding us and shaping us into the image of Christ. We're told in 2 Corinthians 3.18, but we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. And so there's unity that's there. Unity in that all of us are a work in progress. The Holy Spirit is working in us and through us, conforming us into his image. And so we find unity first and faith and practice. The second point that we see is, is, as we go on, that there's unity in verse 14 that we find in sound doctrine. Unity and sound doctrine. Ephesians 4.14 says this, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. That verse tells us a whole lot about what Christians are becoming. We're no longer, we should no longer be children. It's a maturing that should be taking place. As the word is preached, as we continue to be made disciples, as we sharpen one another, you go from being an infant desiring milk to being those that, that are no longer spiritual babes and, and, and maturing to the, to the point where you desire just the meat of the word, a growing that takes place. And this growing that takes place for us as, as a church makes it so he, he works in us to the, where we're no longer children tossed to and fro, carried about by every wind of doctrine. Um, you think of kids and they're, they're easy to, to trick sometimes, Right? I was in, in Europe going on a train through Germany with a, a soccer team I was playing for, and the coach had 
two of his young boys with me and, and were with us. And I had a bunch of, of pennies. And so I'd say, watch this. I'd have two pennies in my hand. And I'd say, see this penny? And I'd throw it out the window. Littering, but it's copper. It, it threw it out the window. And I'd be like, look. They'd see it fly out the window. I'd be like, still here. Man, I, I probably did to them ten times. They thought I was the greatest magician ever. And yet, everybody else knew he's got two pennies in his hand. April Fool's is a fun time in the Osuji home. <laughs> if you can imagine. Um, the last couple of years have been interesting. First one, like two years ago with the kids. Um, I, I convinced them that morning that all of them had lice. And you, you, you know when someone, if you hear the word lice right now, some of you, your heads itch, right? It just automatically starts itching when you think that you have lice. And so it, 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 was, it, was, it was just so easy to convince them, like, no, 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 they're, they're you know, I, I see it, I see it. And, and uh, funny thing is my wife fell for the same thing in the midst of it. This last year, this is probably disturbing to you. It should not have happened, but I was cutting. What was I cutting, honey? Some kind of fruit on the cutting board, and I said, ah! And I had some, some snow cone machine, like red juice, and I, I pretend like I cut my finger off. And so it's in the midst of all these different pieces of fruit, and and I, I, I said, like, my finger, my finger. <laughs> and the kids were freaking out. Tosh is there. I'm like, no, get Jonathan. And Jonathan comes in. I'm like, you got to find my finger. And Tosh is like, we're not going to make him find your finger. I'll find your finger, you know. And, and... <laughs> and then she struck me when I said it was April Fool's. She actually struck me. There was definite spousal abuse that took place that day. Probably more than one way. Emotionally for Tasha, physically for me. But you think of, of with kids, it's easy to, to trick them, right? But as you get older, you, you find that, that that's not the case. You're able to tell, like, that's not right. What's being said there is just not right. That's not biblical. Um, we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine. By the trickery of men... And the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. It's not just that, that they don't know and they're teaching something false. There's an enemy that we have, Satan that knows for sure. But also there's those that desire to trick people. Cunning craftiness, deceitful plotting. Give to this organization, give to this church and you'll be healed. If you have enough faith, if you give, put it on your credit card. God will cancel all your credit card debts. The televangelists tell us. Trickery of men, cunning craftiness, deceitful plotting. Matthew 7.15 tells us this. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You'll know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? 
Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you'll know them. Christ tells us, beware of them. There's false prophets that are coming, and and they, they have sheep's clothing. They look like they are a part of us, but they are they're not. They're wolves. They're ravenous wolves. We see also in 2 Peter 2, 1, but there were also false prophets among the people, even as there were false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them and bring on themselves swift destruction. There's false doctrines that have hit the church throughout the entirety of church history. False doctrines that you find in the New Testament are largely found in the things that are listed below. First is legalism. A false doctrine that comes in and, and, and it's teachers that come in with false doctrine, but it's largely sur- surrounded first with legalism. Legalism that, that, that puts all of these rules around us, bringing us to a place of you must do this, you must eat this, you must observe these things. And this law that even goes around God's law that makes it so that there's all kinds of rules and regulations. God addresses this in, in Scripture. In Galatians 1.6, it says, I marvel that you're turning away so, so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another. But there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you, then what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. And so you think of false teachers that are around us, legalism that surrounds it. It's not a salvation that comes by faith alone. It's not a salvation that's a result of grace alone. It's not a salvation that's a result of Christ alone. It's a salvation that is works plus Christ. But works are there. One example that you would find is within Mormonism. We have dear friends who are Mormons. Love, love them very much. Care for them. But the doctrines within the Mormon church are not the doctrines of Christianity. Just not. You found that, that in recent elections when Mormons were running for even the highest office that it was really looked down upon to say that, that, that Mormonism was not Christianity. But when Jesus is within Mormonism, the brother of Satan, when all of us will become gods someday, and when you're saved by works and you're not saved by faith alone, there is a major difference. When you think of just even the passage before us where it's, you're turning to a different gospel, which is not another. But notice he even says, but even if we or an angel supposedly from heaven Preach any other gospel to you than what, you have, than what we have preached to you. Let him be accursed. You think of within Mormonism, the angel Moroni that has come and, and, and gives them this new revelation, but is without a doubt a different gospel, which is no gospel at all. It's surrounded with laws. It's surrounded with legalism. It is not Christ and him crucified and salvation that comes by faith alone. In Galatians 2.21, it says, 
I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. We're not saved by, by the law. If we are saved by the law, then why did Christ die? He didn't die so that, that we would meet him halfway and accomplish the majority of the law. He fulfilled all the law. As he hung on the cross, he said, it's finished. To say that we're still under the law is to say that what Christ did upon the cross was not sufficient. It was not good enough to save us. And that's just not the case. We find that it was truly finished upon the cross. In Galatians 3.1, he says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly betrayed among you as crucified? This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect in the flesh? This is what they were facing in, in the book of Galatians, where he's saying, you're being tricked. Are you so foolish, you, you began in the Spirit, are you now trying to make yourself perfect in the flesh? Brothers and sisters, you are saved, and you're saved by faith alone, by God's grace alone. We're not under the law. We're freed from the law. Christ fulfilled the law. You think of when Christ died on the cross, all, through faith in him, all of his righteousness comes upon our account. All of it. All of our sin was placed upon him on the cross. There's this great exchange that takes place to where he'll never see you as more perfect than he does right now as a believer. We live for him. We desire to obey him. Not to fulfill the law but because we love him, because he has saved us. It's worship to obey him. Not trying to earn our salvation. Now, as you watch the pendulum swing, the next false doctrine is often a response to a previous false doctrine, and the next false doctrine was antinomianism. Um, doctrine that you find within the church where it goes to the opposite side as far as Sinning, living in such a way, using your, your liberty to sin as much as you want and, and, and calling upon the grace of God, but having no desire to do the things of the Lord. Romans 6.1 says this, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And the response is certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? We don't sin simply that grace might abound. There's a desire to obey him. There's a desire to walk as Christ walked. There's a desire to live holy lives before him and honor him in the way that we think, in our actions, the things that come forth out of our mouths. We want to do this. Galatians 6.15 says this, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything. Both extremes, legalism and antinomianism avails anything but a new creation. We are new creations in Christ. But may we not shift all the way to a place of antinomianism. The church was also hit by a false doctrine of Gnosticism. The Baker Encyclopedia defines Gnosticism as this. Religious thought distinguished by claims of obscure and mystical knowledge. 
and emphasizing knowledge rather than faith. It says, until the mid-20th century, Gnosticism was regarded as a Christian heresy which developed through the interweaving of Christian experience and thought with Greek philosophy. You find within places today, Gnosticism still rearing its, its ugly head. You'll find it with things like the New Age movement. Uh, ideas of, of elitism. Ideas of, of the philosophies coming back and, and, and the, the knowledge rather than faith in Christ. You see Paul address it with Timothy where he says, Oh, Timothy, guard what was committed to your trust, avoiding the profane and idle babblings and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. By professing it, some have strayed concerning the faith. Grace be with you. Amen. We know in Scripture that there is only one way for us to be saved, and that is in Christ. Acts 4.12 says this, Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. It flies in the face of the way that things are in our culture today. All roads lead to heaven. Um, people having a, a difficulty even saying anything close to others would spend eternity in hell. And yet scripture makes it very, very clear that there is salvation, that there's not salvation in any other but Christ. And out of that, you also have relativism that has come and hit our culture in a massive way. Relativism is the idea that there's no such thing as absolutes. The idea of, of who are you to say anything? On what basis can you make any kind of statement of truth? You see in Matthew 21, where Jesus came into the temple... Verse 23, the chief priests and the elders of the people confronted him as he was teaching and said, by what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you this authority? But Jesus answered and said to them, I also will ask you one thing, which if, if you tell me, I likewise will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, where was it from? From heaven or from men? And they reasoned among themselves saying, if we say from heaven... He will say to us, why then did you not believe him? But if we say from men, we fear the, mul the multitude, for all count John as a prophet. And so they answered Jesus and said, we do not know. And he said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. This idea of we don't know. Relativism, there's no such thing as absolutes. I don't want to say one thing or the other. Or the false teaching that comes in because people within the church are, are those who read Scripture in such a way that they interpret it trying to avoid criticism from the world that's around us. I'll tell you, that's one of the most difficult things that we live in today. The church is so worried about how we are viewed by the world. We're so worried about criticism coming from the world that it massively has affected the way that we interpret Scripture, the way that we see doctrine. Martin Luther once said, one 
with God is the majority. Being in a place where we are in alignment with what God says in Scripture, if we are in alignment with Him, we are the majority. There's no greater place to stand than on the truth of God's Word. And yet you find today churches strained in all different directions because of fear of criticism. Let's talk about some of those things. Today people teach sometimes a doctrine called annihilationism instead of a doctrine, the biblical doctrine of eternal hell because it's against our culture to believe in the eternal wrath of God. It's hard for people to imagine a loved one or anybody in this world spending eternity in hell. So you'll see doctrines that emerge even within once healthy churches of no, we don't, we don't believe in, in any kind of eternal hell. We just believe that God just annihilates people. He just destroys them completely. But that's having your feelings of what you think is right or the way other people will view us as far as a literal devil, a literal hell. Do you really believe people would go to hell? And we do. I remember seeing an interview with John MacArthur on Larry King Live years and years ago where there was a homosexual actor that was there. And the homosexual actor looked at John MacArthur and he said something along the lines of, if the God that you serve would send someone like me to hell, then I have no desire to go to heaven. And you watch John MacArthur who just put his arm around him and said, I, I, I don't think you really believe that. You, you, don't, you don't want to do that. It was like the most loving grandfather kind of way of just ministering to this guy. But in his mind it was, I don't even want to go to a place like that. And yet, Scripture makes it clear that hell is real. It is eternal. Over the years since Darwin, you find that Christians have shifted away from a biblical view of creation. Wanting to to talk about um, a very distant God or a God that didn't literally create the day and the the world in, in, in six days with a seventh day of rest. The influence of evolution and the desire to not sound unscientific or uneducated has made it so Christians have waffled, the church has waffled on that over the last century. You have entire denominations that have left the orthodox view that they once held to teach that homosexuality is not a sin even embracing or ordaining homosexual pastors because of the fear of criticism from the culture rather than the clear teaching of Scripture. Um, The doctrines change because we're afraid of criticism. And you know this to be the case. Um, 
you know how it's viewed as far as to say anything is wrong, especially in the culture that we live in dealing with homosexuality. I just I saw that the leaders of the Evangelical Covenant Church defrocked a Minneapolis pastor um, because he permitted gay marriage. Um, and, and this was just first thing that I read in the news this morning out of Minneapolis. Um, 77% voted that from the Evangelical Covenant Church that the man was to be removed as pastor. 23% voted in the other direction. They also voted to remove a, a pastor and, and a church because the pastor officiated his son's homosexual wedding and served as pastor 47 years. The church was a part of the denomination since it began 134 years ago. Um, but the church and the pastor were removed. The son of the pastor who, who was homosexual said this, It is so unbelievably upsetting to see my father Dan with my fellow members of First Covenant experience the hate, deceit, and actions that go against the teachings of love and inclusion that Jesus Christ preached. And that's the way that it's viewed. The criticism that comes from the world is that we're hateful, deceitful, and we go against the teachings of love that come from what God says in this word. But that would be totally misinterpreting all of what you find in Scripture. Scripture is so clear on this doctrine. We, we don't determine what we believe based on what the culture says. We, would you turn with me for a moment to Romans chapter 1? Let's look at verse 18 and following. Notice what it says here. <clears throat> For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and they changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, and birds, and four-footed animals, and creeping things. Now, look what it says in verse 24 and following. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness and the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves. Who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who's blessed forevermore. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. 
Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of the error which was due. As even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. Scripture's clear on that, isn't it? It goes against nature. It's vile. It's, it's such that, that God gave them over to a debased mind to do things that are not fitting. It's not that God made them like that. It's not an alternative lifestyle. It is sin. So we see that to be the case. We live in a time where there's hatred for anything that teaches biblical manhood or biblical womanhood. That there's a difference between men and women. We live in a time where there's a transgender movement that is just massive in our culture. You know that, that there's transgender athletes that are competing as women, but they're biologically male. And it's becoming more and more prevalent. This last year in Connecticut, a transgender athlete, a biologically male competing as a woman, now holds 10 records in Connecticut for girls' sports. Ten records that were once held by ten different women over a period of 20 years are now held by one person who is a biological male. Another biologically male transgender athlete who was ranked 390 as a man is now the NCAA Division II champion at the 400 meter as of this last year for women. Biological man Competing as a woman now holds a title for the Masters World Cycling Championship for 2018. The UFC fighter who, biologically male, fights the women. Broke a woman's skull in 2014. The woman whose skull was broken said, I fought a lot of women and I've never felt the strength that I felt as in a fight as I did that night. And just this last April within the Evangelical Lutheran Church of America, they announced that, a pastor announced that after 13 years as a Lutheran pastor, he's now the first transgender woman who plans to continue to serve as the pastor, and he's supported by the local senate. This is what we're facing. This is what we look at as a culture, and we have to ask ourselves, is this biblical? Is it right? Do we see it through the lens of Scripture, or did God make... Man, male and female, and he created them in his own image. And he did this, and we look and say, what does Scripture teach? It needs to be our authority. We see people teaching against Christ's substitutionary atonement because of criticism that it's cosmic child abuse from God the Father. And so they go against precious doctrines like substitutionary atonement, that Christ took our sins upon himself. Teachers teach against the perfect, inerrant, infallible word of God because liberal textual critics attempt to to explain away God's authority and his perfect word. Any idea of absolute truth of any kind, especially in the page of Scripture, goes right against the prominent relativism taught and embraced by almost everybody in our culture. 
thank God for the grace of God. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 says this, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus by the Spirit of our God, and such were some of you. The best news is that for the transgender, for the homosexual, for the thief, for the drunkard, for the sodomite, for the extortioner, for whoever it is, God came to forgive sin. To forgive sin. And as a church, we need to make it so that there's unity together in the doctrine. We believe Scripture and the sufficiency of Scripture. We hold to Scripture as our authority. It is perfect. And what all of us are to believe as believers. To not have criticism from the world change the way that we hold to Scripture and change the way of our doctrine. Scripture is so clear of that. But the next thing is we're to have unity in how we speak of these things. Unity as we speak the truth in love to fight false doctrine and promote sound doctrine. Look at Ephesians 4.15. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. We talked about culturally sensitive things here. Several years ago, I preached a sermon, and I talked about some of these things. And one of my high school athletes that had graduated and had been working in Hollywood for several years came to church that day and with his family. And as he walked down, he's like, you know you're not supposed to say stuff like that. And culturally, you're not. But biblically, we are. But may we do it with love. When we look at homosexuality or some of these hot topics... May we graciously point them to the cross. Every person is sexually broken to some degree. And God came to forgive all of us. All of us. Speaking the truth in love. Pouring forth the gospel in love. Teaching and making disciples, but doing it not in a proud, arrogant, haughty manner, but lovingly putting your arm around someone and saying, no, let me show you in Scripture where it says this. Pointing them to the truth of Scripture. That's how there is to be unity in our body. We have some great examples of this. First Jude chapter 1. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men, who turned the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul calls Timothy, preach the word, in 2 Timothy 4.2. Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up themselves teachers, and they'll turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. 
But you be watchful in all these things. Endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Preach the word. Preach the word. What does God say? Preach the word. The doctrines that we hold that will unite us together are found in the pages of Scripture. And we have to be able to say there's something that's true. And it's what we find in the pages of Scripture. John 17, Jesus said, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. But let's talk for a moment about how this is to look like in love. In 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 7. Paul says, but we were gentle among you. Just as a nourishing mother cherishes her own children, so affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become dear to us. For you remember, brethren, our labor and toil, for laboring night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. We preach to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved among ourselves among you who believe, as you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you, as a father does his own children, that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. To hear the heart there starts out just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. Towards the end, it says, How we exhorted and comforted and behaved ourselves among you who believe um, or and charged every one of you as a father does his own children, as a father does his children, lovingly ministering to one another. And then in Ephesians 4.16, as we close, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, According to the effect of working by which every part does its share, causing, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Um, we'll begin there again next week since we've run out of time. But just in closing, look at this. We are, as Christians are to be joined together, knit together by what every joint supplies. As we serve one another, as we love one another, as we preach the word, as we make disciples, as we use the gifts that God has given us, every part doing its share, and there will be growth in the body. Um, There must be unity in the church. But not unity at the expense of truth. Not unity at the expense of truth. Unity in the body that says this is what God says and we all together hold to it. Encourage one another in it and lovingly share it. May God help us to do that. Let's pray together. Lord God, we're thankful for your word this morning. I pray that there would be precious unity at Reverence Bible Church. Precious unity amongst the saints here. We serve the same God. We have the same Holy Spirit within us. Same hope, same calling. But we also have the same truth that we find in the pages of Scripture. The same doctrines in which we hold to. The essential doctrines that are there that were passed on from those who have gone before us and are found directly in the pages of Scripture. Help us not to be tossed to and fro. 
Help us not to be like children that are, are tricked so easily. But may we understand the word and think biblically and run from sin and point others towards Christ, be salt to this world, and be a blessing to one another as we encourage each other in your holy and perfect word. May there be precious unity that is there for us as believers. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.